Hello, welcome to another edition of the Hoop Scoop Podcast. My name is Nate with my pod pal, Phil. What is it, baby? And today we got about a week of hoops to discuss. We'll talk about the teams we've been impressed with, the teams we might be a wee bit scared about, and then, of just course, a wee bit. just a tad, and then we'll go over the local squads, Knicks and Nets. I think there's some nice talking points about both of those teams. That'll round us out, and we're good to go. You ready, Phil? Yeah. Oh, I'm ready. All right, so let's start. Do you want to go good news first or bad news first? Uh, I don't know. Is it is it a morning where you want to rip the Band-Aid off? Or... Let's go good news. I'm feeling positive. So, all right, all right. We'll, we'll end on a somber note. So first, let's each name a squad that we've been impressed with. We think they're playing well. We think that this is a good sign. I'll kick it to you for, uh, first, Phil. What's a team that is playing good basketball right now you think can continue and you'd be happy if you're a fan of them? Uh, I'd probably roll over to the Magic. They're playing really well. They're 4-0. I mean, it's not going to stay like that forever, but you're getting very consistent, like, well-spread-out scoring. You're getting four guys above 18 points, and then you got, like, Aaron Gordon giving you 12 and decent boards, and then Cole Anthony's coming off the bench and giving you about nine points. Just the the dearth of assets they have. Markel Fultz is hovering around 18 points, and if he can do that for the whole season with five assists and only two turnovers, he's going to be like very solid as at the point guard for the Magic. Yeah, Magic sitting right now as the only team that's four and zero. Obviously, a bunch of teams haven't played four games, but a good amount of teams have, and they've won four games, lost none. Markel Fultz definitely been the biggest revelation of this year. I've been on record in the past saying I'm still a little bit skeptical of Fultz being, you know, the, the tr- truly back to what he was. And it's not there yet, but this is about as good as you could have expected four games of the season for yeah. him. I, I don't think he's going – I don't think he's ever going back to what he was. But I think with where they started, like, he's formed into where he is now. Like, he's not as solid of a shooter, but he has the solid base of being a, you know, playmaking guard and – slashing cutting and then now he has this kind of mid-range game that he's slowly building out to the three-point and it's a kind of a rework shot I guess but I mean he's shooting 30 percent which is okay for now but yes he will hopefully we'll see proof yeah so big big things for the magic is with Jonathan Isaac out I think that we all kind of thought a little bit less of them we didn't know where they're going to be defensively you know, we've always used these Steve Clifford teams as pretty strong defensively. Like They've always had a nice floor. And right now they're sitting at 11th in defensive rating. So that's pretty pretty good, given their personnel, I think. You know, they don't have that straight stopper like they did with Jonathan Isaac. But if you're going to play Vucevic at the five, which they are a lot, he's not exactly Dikembe Mutombo. Being 11th in defensive rating is a good sign. Another thing is they are playing faster, getting a, getting some more threes up. They're sixth in pace. I'm pulling all the numbers out today, Phil. And they're, they're getting Vucevic to, to shoot the threes. You know, I, I know before the season, I forget, yeah, I forget exactly what the number was, but Steve Clifford said something crazy. Like, he wanted Vucevic to take like eight or nine threes a game. And that, that, he's taking five right now. Yep, taking five a game, shoot 45%. I mean, he has a good stroke. We saw it in the bubble last year. We saw it in the playoffs when they took a game off of the Bucks, when he's, when you got that pick and pop action going and Fultz is playing like he can be, he's going downhill. It's a, it's a really 
tough team to stop offensively because Vooch might not be the, the glamorous name of others, but offense is a, you know, top 15, top 20 talent. You know, I, I, honestly, a, yeah. I honestly think that. So, yeah, nothing nothing to complain about if you're the Magic fan right now. I'm going to pull up their schedule right now, see what they have coming. Oh, yeah, who's, who's up next? Because they haven't played the stats. The competition hasn't been great. Heat, Wizards, Wizards, and Thunder. And then next up, they got Sixers, Thunder, Cavs, and Cavs. Yeah. So, <clears throat> we may not see how they'll actually look until that next set of four where it's Rockets, Bucks, Mavericks, and Celtics. Yeah, but hey, you know, if you're Orlando and you're in the East, hey, keep riding. We, we've seen teams, we saw Toronto last year get to the two seed, and I'm not saying they're going to be the two seed, but a big deal of that was, whoa, whoa, whoa. But I'm just saying the Raptors got to that high place because they were just beating up on the teams they should beat up on. So you'll, you'll go a long way in the East if you just take care of business when you're supposed to, and then against the good teams, you know, you win 50% of them, you'll be in a nice spot. Right, that uh, that kind of segues into another thing, but we'll we'll get to that. I assume we'll get into some of these teams that Magic played later for at least impressive. But who did you have for your most impressive? My team, not undefeated, but I still like the way that they're looking so far, and that is the Phoenix Suns. They did lose one game to the Kings, but I think that given the fact that they are a new team, they got a lot of moving pieces. They're They've been pretty impressive for me, and that's mostly because of their depth. They're not just relying on Devin Booker, Aiton, Chris Paul, but I've been pretty pleased with a lot of their supplementary players. McCall Bridges is playing as well as I've ever seen him play. He's a two-way mm-hmm. stud right now, yeah. hitting threes, playing great on-ball defense. You know, like that's one of the players that definitely has stuck out to me so far. Also, Cam Johnson continues to make steps. I think that he's been really nice in the second unit. He's shooting well again moves the ball. This team just plays good team basketball, especially last night where they absolutely decimated the Pelicans. I just like the, tr- the way that this team is going, the trend that they're headed in. They're not relying on their stars too much, but I think that we all know when push comes to shove, they have the talent. So I'm taking Phoenix as just a team that I'm in- I've been impressed with, and I think they're trending in the right direction. So you got any tidbits on the Suns while I pull up some of these numbers? No, I mean, I got the numbers up right here. The Suns have six, almost seven, or <clears throat> seven, almost eight people averaging 10 points a game with yeah. Cameron Payne at 9.8. But yeah, it's very well spread. Chris Paul, Jay Crowder, I think DeAndre Ayton, they're all averaging 11 points a game. And Chris Paul's giving you almost 10 assists. DeAndre Ayton's just getting boards and playing good defense. And Jay Crowder's just being that, you know, rotational wing. And then... Devin Booker isn't even eclipsing 20. I know that's probably not how it's going to be the whole season, but right now it's just kind of promising to see all these different levels of people scoring and how kind of like the magic, how well spread out they are. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody seems to really be forcing the issue and trying to cement themselves as the number one guy. It just appears as if very fluidly. Yep. They're playing. And that's, I, I put a lot of that on Chris Paul because you know, Chris Paul's not going to come in and just try to get numbers. He's going to come in and try to cement right, a good... Utilize people for what they're good for. Yeah, and, and establish the team, because he knows this is the long... Him scoring yeah. 25, 30 points in December is not going to equal to success come May and June. I'm not saying they're going to be playing in June, but maybe they will. So... It's possible. It's possible. I, I, I like the way this team is going. They're bought in defensively also. 
I think they they got some nice pieces defensively. Devin Booker, I know, hasn't been a metric darling when it comes to defense, but I think when bought in, he could be a a solid piece. He's got good size. I don't look at right. him and think he's like a no effort guy. They have good defensive pieces on the bench. Javon Carter, we know what he brings. I, I don't know. I like this team. I like what they're doing defensively. I like what they're doing offensively. They're sixth right now in defensive rating. So that's a good sign. Monty Williams seems everybody's bought in. DeAndre Ayton has really bought in on the defensive side as well. Another guy that's not putting up huge numbers, but I think that he's just playing within the team and he's doing his job. So I like where the Suns are right now. They're three and one. And I'll pull up their schedule right now just to see where it's heading. They have the Jazz, Nuggets, Clippers. Those are next three games. So those are going to be some. Uh, so these are, yeah, these are big boy games. There's some big litmus tests right there. We'll see how they end up in those three matchups. We'll see if Kawhi is good by when they play. I think he will be. But nonetheless, three big games coming up. And maybe, maybe my opinion will change after those three games. But I. I, I <laughs> I think it won't. I think I think they'll be all right, and I think this is. I think at the very least they'll be competitive, all yeah. four games. And I was high on Phoenix before the year. I had them in the playoffs, not incredibly high, but I had them in the top eight. So I think this is a playoff team. I think they're trending towards that, and I'm happy if I'm a Suns fan. Yeah. One thing I just noticed real quick is Devin Booker's averaging five turnovers for the season. Obviously, it's four games in, but yeah. Do you think that's just kind of fleshing out the Chris Paul Devin Booker dynamic? I think yeah. it's probably going to you know progress as it goes on. But thoughts? Yeah, it's a good point. I th- I think that it's just a new role for him. You know, I, in the the past couple seasons when I've watched the Suns, Devin Booker is essentially a de facto point guard. He's got right operating at the top of the key. He's getting a lot of ball screens, just going like kind of the way Bradley Beal was used last year, where. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a ton of off-ball, and you would think that would equal more toner turnovers being in that role, but he's just getting used to a new spot. So I think it's right. just a little bit of a comfort zone switch. In the game last night, I saw I saw him off the ball a lot, and I think he's overpassing a little bit. I think he's still trying to find his niche. But, again, this is a new team, so I'm not, I'm not expecting them to roll off 15 straight wins or anything. I just think that – Given the spot that they're in, they're moving in the right direction because this is a, an entirely new group, a lot of different moving pieces. Devin Booker has a new role. Chris Paul, he's doing things that they never had a player like him before. So obviously those turnovers need to go down, but I just chalk that up more so to Booker trying to find his spot in the offense more so to him, more than him just playing poorly. Right now. Yeah, I agree. Shall we hop over to least least imp and you can yeah, start it off? Yeah, let's get negative. Let's get negative. I'm so I'm gonna start with a team. I didn't like this team before the year. I oh, then we're we're not talking about the same guys. I had this team in the eighth spot in the East, even though they played very well last year. We already mentioned them. They went two in the East last year. You already know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Toronto uh, Raptors, Phil. They started out zero and three and. There's just not a whole lot of good stuff happening here. They're they're not playing good offense. The defense has been okay, but it's taken a little bit of a dip as well. They're relying a lot on their backcourt. They're relying a lot on Pascal Siakam. And quite frankly, nobody's producing the way that they should be. I just have worries about this team on both ends of the floor. I think that I, I 
I thought that the downgrade in front court was being underplayed. I know that Marcus All was not looking good in the bubble, but going from Marcus All and Serge Ibaka to Alex Lennon, Aaron Baines, it's 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 noticeable. Is all I can say. Yes. Uh, it, you know, it'll Aaron, do the trick. <laughs> Aaron Baines is shooting eighteen percent from three. Alex Lennon hasn't taken a three. Alex Lennon only plays twenty one minutes per game. They're still figuring the rotations out. I know everybody was ready to crown OG Ananobi as arrived but right now he's not much more than a complimentary player who's shooting relatively well but he's he's not a creator Lowry's been the best player because he's just the most consistent he's been doing the things he's been doing the last couple of seasons but Pascal Siakam's getting a little scary over here Phil he's getting a little scary and I know that the bubble last year it's easy to say the bubble it was it was a it was a mental toll on a lot of players and it wasn't easy and to not take it to heart too much because it was a different situation. I get that. I'm not saying those things shouldn't be valid, but is it that, or is it just that it was the playoffs and the playoffs are get harder and the playoffs kind of expose who you really are as a player, which one is it? You know, because right now, Pascal yeah, Siakam, yeah. not shooting the ball. Well, taking a lot of threes, not making a lot of threes, not getting to the foul line a whole lot. It seems like he's trying to be somebody he's not, and it's just not working. It's Fred Van Vliet, another guy who's off to an incredibly slow start. They've yeah, I was been... going to ask about him. He's their, yeah, he's their darling signee. Yeah, he's been really bad. He's been really bad. He's scoring under 15 points, 6% from the field, only getting to the line under two times a game. And in the few Raptors, I haven't honestly watched a full Raptors game, but I've checked in throughout and I've watched a bunch of highlights. I've read about them. And they're throwing Van Vliet in the second unit a lot, kind of trying to get him to be that primary ball handler, playmaker, whatever, and right. punching a little bit above his belt there. I like Fred, but at the end of the day, I think he's a scorer, and I think he works a lot better with a guard next to him like Lowry. So, yeah, I'm just a little concerned about where this team goes. So far, they, they've played three games. They've lost all three, and they're not scoring well in any of them. I'm just a little concerned. I'm a little concerned. Any thoughts? Yeah, no, I mean, we've been talking about this ad nauseum since the beginning of the season or the beginning of free agency when Serge Ibaka left for the Clippers because that was a big loss to them. And then Marcus All followed shortly after the Lakers. It just seems like they're losing their big man depth or big man strength, essentially, because Ibaka was low-key a very pivotal part in their championship run and then their playoff contention last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abak is one of the most underrated players, I think, in the league, and I think he's already had a huge impact on the Clippers. Just to get those exact team numbers out there, yeah. And offensively, the Raptors are – let me get the precise numbers. Well, sh- first of all, they're shooting 20th, the 20th in the league right now in three-point percentage. And again, take this with a grain of salt because it's four games in. But just to give you an idea of, of where they're standing, the 20th in three-point shooting – let me look at their advanced numbers. They're 28th in offensive rating. So that's points for 100 possessions. They're 28th. And that is just – that's the biggest question I have. Is that going to get better? I don't know. Abaka and Gasol provided that, that uh, spacing. And even though they're not knockdown shooters, they're still good shooters that you have to respect. And that really opened the floor up for guys like Pascal, guys like Van Vliet to do what they're best at, and that's going downhill. Siakam shooting seven threes a game is not going to get done. 
That's just not going to get the job done. That's not his game. He's better than what he's played so far, but Nick Nurse is a lot to figure out right now because this team is not trending in the right direction. I'm just going to take a look at their schedule as well to see. So they have the Knicks, who, you know, they're playing good basketball. <laughs> Julius Randle dropped a triple-double on them. Oh, we'll, we'll get to that. They got the Knicks, then they got the Pelicans, who is all, are also struggling, but... They could turn Pelicans, around quick. Yeah, they, Pelicans also have talent, so it's not a walkover. And then the Celtics. So we'll see where they stand at the end of those next three games. But right now, yeah, the Raptors are my team that I'm most concerned about. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, so. can't blame you for it. Uh, for me, I have your your beautiful darlings in the D.C. area, the Washington Wizards. Yeah, yeah. Looking at their stats, it's it's very interesting. Uh, Russ is shooting uh, 10% on – or 100% on three – 10%, excuse me, on three <laughs> – on 3.3 attempts. And then Beal is shooting 24% on six attempts. And they're not getting a lot of scoring outside of Beal and Westbrook. Yeah. And they have Thomas Bryant surprisingly coming out just scoring, which you don't really expect. And I don't know if that's going to continue. It's got to come from Westbrook's pick and roll bonanza. And then Beal's kind of been subject to when Westbrook's off the court, he takes over. Or when Westbrook's on the court, he's just a floor spacer like Harden. And then just looking at their metrics league-wide, they are the worst team in giving free throws at 32. So that's just that's just easy buckets for a lot of different teams, especially if you have competent free throw shooters, which most of them do, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah, Washington has been rough. And the first three games, it was, you know, they're feeling it out, all right? They played some decent opponents. And that, that first Sixter game, I honestly thought it was decent. I wasn't too alarmed after that. They competed pretty well. Last night was a bummer. <laughs> Last night was a bummer for them. Chicago has been playing terribly. And they lost that game straight up. Some interesting things to look at in the stat sheet for Washington. They are pretty – they're playing very fast. They're playing – They are, yes. I believe it's fourth in pace. And I think that might need to be an adjustment because the the higher pace you play, it's going to – well, obviously you're playing with more fast breaks. So you're you're not going to be in the half-court offense as much. And then you're also just – exposing your D a little bit more. So, because the, the, obviously the ball is flying on the court and it's hard to get into your set defense, which is an easier way to play D. Easier way to defend, yeah, yeah. So, I, and I don't know, w- having Westbrook, we, we've talked about how Westbrook, it's kind of interesting. I feel like the perception of him isn't exactly accurate. People always view him as coast to coast, you know, get the ball run, blah, blah, blah. And he can do that. But Westbrook's a pick and roll machine. And... One of the most efficient pick-and-roll ball handlers, honestly, in the past 10 years. I know that his jumper isn't always on, but if you, if you get him with a good pick-and-roll Going roll to partner, the rim or – yeah. Yeah, going right. to the rim. He's, he's, a, he's a great feeder off the pick-and-roll. His mid-range is decent. And then a lot of – even if you slough off of him, he'll just take you – he'll take advantage of a switch of a, of a soft head, and he'll take you right to the rim. And maybe they have to look more into that in the half court. Maybe it's a call as a more so of a symptom of them not having a good pick and roll partner right now. Their best big man for that role would be Thomas Bryant, and I don't right, think that's he's... why we're probably seeing why his points are going so high because he's just getting easy lobs. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Washington definitely has some work to do. I know that the Wizards fans are extremely frustrated with Scott Brooks. He's 
seems to not be making the adjustments needed. But, yeah, at the end of the day, this team's going to live and die by Westbrook and Beal. And it doesn't seem like they're getting any production from the other guys. So, their chemistry is just a little little wonk right now. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's early. They could figure it out, but they account for about nine, nine, almost ten turnovers together. And Beal's assist to turnover is almost flat one-to-one. Yeah. Yeah, they're probably still figuring out that limbo of ball handling between Bill and Wall, but definitely a team that has some work to do, and I did not expect them to be 0-4. I liked them. I don't think it'll be like that forever, but... No, you don't think they'll go 0-2? Not surprisingly. (laughs) But uh, I think it's going to be a slow rider. They probably are going to win the game against the Bulls they have next. Their next schedule is Bulls, Timberwolves, Nets, and Sixers. Yeah, I could see them picking up the first two, and then I don't know about the last two. Maybe they could shock, but Hopefully. they just yeah. don't look like a competent team for any any other opponent that's a probably six seed or above. Yeah, yeah, for sure. See what happens with the Wizards, but right now Westbrook averaging triple double, so that's that's fun. I uh, I think he, <laughs> that was guaranteed wherever he went. <laughs> You're right. Also, have to have to self-correct myself. The Wizards are not 28th in offense, but the Wizards are dead. I mean, not the Wizards. The Raptors are dead last in offense. Oh. Ooh. Just want to say that. But <laughs> other than that, grievances. All right, so right now we got teams trending in the right direction. We have the Suns and the Magic, wrong direction, Wizards and Raptors. Ready to talk some local teams, Phil? Knicks and Nets? Yeah, let's go. Let's go negative and positive kind of as well. There were some lowlights and highlights for one guy, and the Nets were just very good overall. Want to get the Nets out of the way? Yeah, we'll talk Nets. You know, you know the, the Nets, obviously, they started great with two wins, and we talked about the first win, I believe, on our last pod. Since then, they, they, have, they have lost two games, though. Lost to the Hornets, lost to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies' loss came when both Durant and Irving sat. As well and... as Dinwiddie. Well, yeah, Dinwiddie obviously is out for the year. He sat for a while. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. So I didn't watch much of the Hornets game, but I did watch all of the Grizzlies game. And even though even though Durant and you watched too, even play, I thought that there were some interesting takeaways, especially from Nash from Steve Nash's coaching job, rotationally stuff like that. It was it was our first kind of into criticism, I think, that could be placed upon Steve Nash's shoulders. Well, right. I, I, I think yeah. an interesting part of it is no, – sorry, before you keep going. Uh, I think an interesting part of it is, is Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are always talking about how he's, like, learning on the go, and this is, like, a tough development for him, and he's developing as a coach as we are as a team. So I think, like, kind of having the locker room behind him, there's really no – possibility for a hot seat for him to be in as long as he's not like completely botching stuff and putting in like Chris Chioso and, and have Kyrie sit you know yeah yeah I'm I'm not trying to imply that he's on a hot seat right now but at the end of the day the, the, the coaching job is going to matter especially when they play elite teams and well he is a rookie coach I think we kind of forgot yeah. that Steve Nash was even the coach for those first two games because it just looked so easy for them but even though that Durant and Kyrie didn't play in that Memphis Grizzlies game, Ja exits in the first quarter, and that was a winnable game, I thought, with a lot of moments where 
the Nets could have seized control. I'm a little concerned with the Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan dynamic. That's the one thing I'll say. Because I know that Nash probably looked at the Valanciunas matchup and figured DeAndre was a better matchup. Given he's stronger, bigger, whatever. And I get that. But at the same time, Valanciunas wasn't really killing you in that game. And and if they do try to go to that well a couple times, then fine, you make the sub. But DeAndre was hurting you on offense, man. He's not really going to help you in any regard in offense, except as a lob catcher. And they weren't really getting those opportunities, especially with Levert as the ball handler. You know, maybe more so when you have Kyrie as the ball handler because he's just so talented and he's able to make those plays. But Levert's a scorer off of the dribble. He's a, he'll, he'll make a couple dump-off passes. He, he, does, he is a good passer, but he's not that kind of player. I just thought Jared Allen should have played in that overtime period, and it was a little... It was, it was a little yeah, it was a little jarring why DeAndre Jordan got all the minutes. Yeah, it was a little concerning because I just don't know why they think DeAndre Jordan is better than Jared Allen. That is the one thing that just confused me with that. I think it will come back to hurt them if they continue because DeAndre is going to get exposed at some point or another. There were two plays where Karras made great drives off of screens and really nice dump off fast to DeAndre. He just dropped it. I mean, the, the dude's just not very skilled on offense. And I know Jared Allen isn't Tim Duncan, but he's a pretty good player. He's, and and, he, and he's, he's essentially a, he was essentially a better version of DeAndre Jordan just as he's an athletic big, but he also has more of a skill set that can stretch the floor at least to the paint or at least to the mid-range, you know? Yeah, he's so There's no point in not having a younger, a more athletic DeAndre Jordan on the floor that gives you these positives as well. Yeah, he stepped into a couple elbow jumpers that looked really nice. He, he has some skills that can strike some fear into a defense. I'm I'm just a little confused why. I think the minute split was 30 to 22. I just don't really get And people have been telling me all year, don't worry about DeAndre. It matters who finishes. It doesn't matter who starts. Well, guess who finished? DeAndre Jordan. So yeah. I don't, I don't want to hear that anymore. Clearly, for one reason or another, they trust DeAndre Jordan more than Jared Allen, and it's just a little bit strange to me. But that's that. The one thing I want to say also about the Netsville is, and we'll we'll touch on the Dinwiddie thing quickly, but no need to panic if you're a Nets fan. They've lost two games no, in a row, but the the team the team is still good. They'll be fine. I but I would be a little bit cautious of the whole sitting Durant and Irving you know, too much. And obviously I, I get the science behind it and there's analytics, all that stuff. But I saw that I saw this in, in a, in a beautiful team called Los Angeles Clippers last year, <laughs> where it seemed like, and some of this was by design. Some of this was because the guys were actually hurt, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard sat out a lot. You know, sometimes it was only one of them. Sometimes it was neither of them. And it just seemed like the team never really got a rhythm together. And just like this team, they're a team that was a, a first-year unit. You know, th- this Nets team has never played with Durant and Kyrie together. So, and by the time playoffs came around last year, it really seemed like the Clippers were not on the same page. They didn't seem cohesive. It just didn't look like it should have given all their talent. And the Nets have a lot of talent, but in a year where the East is deep, where there is not going to be a cakewalk to the finals. There's three or four teams that I think are going to be a tough matchup in the Eastern Conference playoffs. 
I think you should be a little bit careful if you're Brooklyn when it comes to sitting the guys in regular season. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? No, oh, yeah, you're totally right. I think <clears throat> almost exactly what you were talking about, just not being able to sit people for the idea that maybe it's better for their health down the line, but at the expense of chemistry or continuity with the team. We saw how that kind of played out with the Clippers. I also think there's the added in wrinkle that there's the looming possible James Harden trade and you don't really like guys don't really know what's going to happen. I hope that doesn't happen personally because it would make it would just in a league of dynamic duos right now, they already have theirs and their bench is better than anybody else's. So why would they give up that whole bench just to make a big three where there's even, you know, putting all your eggs in three in these three guys as opposed to having such a well spread out ability to score from any different guy. I don't love the idea of James Harden trade, and I don't even think that the Nets have the best pieces to offer Houston. I think that was kind of just pushed upon by Harden's camp, almost. I, I don't know. I, I never heard any. Uh, yeah, any, I don't know I, where I, it came from. But I never heard any noise. If it's a possibility, Brooklyn. it's like, ooh, like that, that may not be the best way to go. Yeah, but the Nets have eight, nine really good players. And right. that that, that come to playoffs, not having liabilities on the floor. Before we move on to the Knicks, Phil, we got to talk about the Dinwiddie injury, torn ACL out for the year. Definitely a bummer. He was the one player, honestly, that wasn't really blending he too didn't have well a with the team. Yeah, right. yeah. He looked a little bit lost in offense, and I, I think that was going to come. He was just kind of trying to let the game come to him, I suppose. Yeah. But the, the game wasn't really coming. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a big loss going forward. He was a ball handler and also some Kyrie insurance. I think you said this where you know, essentially they're backup point guard. You know, Karis right. Levert can play some point, but he's not a point guard per se. Dinwiddie's more so tailor made for that role. What's your thoughts on the on the Dinwiddie injury? How important is it? Yeah, I, how do you think I this think affects the team? I think it's a pretty impactful injury because Dinwiddie, when Kyrie Irving theoretically was going to sit with Kevin Durant against Memphis, he was going to be their starting point guard, probably their primary option offensively as he was last year when Kyrie sat. And then same thing last year when Kyrie was there, he was more of the secondary option. So I think Dinwiddie had a role at when these on these nights where these guys sat, especially when they came back, he could kind of, you know, deflect his offensive scoring a bit, but still just spread the floor, just being that, you know, stay in the corner or wing shooter type beat. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, overall he's when Kyrie's out, he's obviously going to be your backup guard, even when Kyrie's sitting. And yeah, I mean, they lose that now. So who's going to be the, the on ball handler for the entirety of probably the playoffs when Kyrie's going to want to sit and is it Chris Chioza? Is Karis the bird just going to take the duty? What's what? Yeah, it'll be interesting what to do with that starting lineup as well. They've had Karis kind of manning that second unit. And if it, yeah, he's our sixth man. Yeah. You know, are they going to move him to the sec- into the starting lineup? I don't think they will, but who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens tonight. The Nets play the Hawks, and I'm actually excited for that game. I think it's going to be a good matchup. Hawks have been, yeah, playing, be good. Hawks have been playing good basketball, and Nets should have all their guys, presumably. So that will be a nice game. I'm sure we'll have some takeaways after that one. Want to go next quick, Phil? The schedule? Yeah, we'll uh, just pull up the schedule real quick. So they got two. The next two are the Hawks, and then third game's the Wizards, and then they got the Jazz. Yeah, so you know, all definitely up until the Utah game, presumably those are three games that they cruisers sh- should yeah. win. So, and yeah. none of them are back to backs. So you'd think that Durant and Kyrie would be there for all of them. But we'll see. Haw- Hawks been playing good, and this will be a real litmus test for Hawks, Hawks yeah. as well. So, 
All right, let's move on to the Knicks. Our Knickerbockers, Phil. Our darlings. We won We won again last night, two in a row for the Knicks. Five, two and two. Yep, two and two. Julius Randle MVP train continues. The dude looks Maybe good. all-star nod. Who knows? Who knows? Phil, what do you think has been the key for the Knicks' success? Do you think this is sustainable? Do you still have question marks? No, I still have question marks. Obviously, they're not. There still are question marks. The season is four games in. But what are your big takeaways for the Knicks four games in? Uh, positively, I mean, Julius Randle's kind of playing within a different role as opposed to being the guy that needs to get every offensive bucket or have his hand on the ball before getting a shot or giving it off to someone else. Like you saw how like Frank or Elford would take it up and then immediately just give it to Julius at the top of the key. We're not seeing that as much anymore. Julius is either taking it up or he's posting up and trying to look for guys through that kind of creation or, you know, getting out of it and maybe getting a bucket for himself. So I think his overall mindset has really changed from his, you know, I need to score every bucket. Now it's, I can create for other guys and, you know, find Bullock in the corner, maybe let RJ get a cut in. So it's, it's definitely helped the team overall. And I think Julius Randle just kind of morphing his game into a more malleable state has really helped. Yeah. Julius Randle has been the, the biggest deal so far, just playing completely different than he did last year. Completely different. Yeah. He's, and I know the turnover numbers are really high and he obviously has to cut those down. And he made a couple bad plays last night, but like overall, I don't don't mind the turnovers too much because a, a lot of them it seems like he's trying to make right play. You know, it's it's not like right. last year's turnovers where the four seconds into the shot clock he's spinning into nowhere and getting the ball stripped. It's a different kind of turnovers, and there are different kind of turnovers because yes, he might turn the ball over five times, but guess what? He's also creating two or three more three pointers. So. Right, it's a give and a take. Yeah, it? yeah. And obviously the turnovers have to cut down. I think they turned the ball over something crazy like 27 times last night, last night, which is... Yeah, the Knicks are 27th in turnovers. Or they 28th are. in turnovers. But the big number, Phil, first and three-point percentage. First and three-point percentage. That, that is, is a beauty. That is the big number. And obviously... They're shocking not gonna, beauty. They're not going to shoot 46% from three for the whole year. But... You sure? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty no, I mean, Alfred, Alfred seems know. to have figured it out in... <laughs> In year whatever, 10, <laughs> year 8, he's, yeah. he's now a three-point marksman. Yeah, and but I think it's also obviously makes and misses. You know, sometimes you just miss a shot you're supposed to make. But, again, I think a lot of that number has to be attributed to the way that they're playing and a, bit, and a lot of Julius Randle. They're getting different shots. They're, it's, it's rhythm three. It's not standstill, two dribbles, pull-up, which is a lot of what Randle was doing last year. It's – right. It's drive the paint, see the double team, collapse, swing. You know, it's different kinds of shots they're getting, which is better shots, which leads to higher percentages. So Julius Randle's been awesome. The Knicks are playing a different brand of basketball than they were last year. It seems like the team is bought into Tibbs, which is good. And obviously winning winning helps. When you win, it's easy to buy in. So we got to talk Alec Burks. He is – I mean, Julius Randle is the catalyst for the change, but – Whenever we need a bucket, Alex Burks will just go and get it. Alex Burks has been really I good. I think if Alex Burks wasn't on the team, we would just be talking about how Julius is trying to do it all, just trying to get triple-doubles now. Fair Alex Burks is no bailing Alex us out with he's, – he's getting us buckets, though. Like For sure. But no the, Burks the last first three night, games, we needed shots, and yeah. Yeah, no, true. Yeah, but – But he was three. just getting – he's shooting 66 on threes right now for five. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Burks have been great. Burks has been great off the bench. He's he's filled that role that we need, and, and he's been playing a decent amount of point also because we still don't have like a point options, guard. Yeah. <laughs> well, Emmanuel Quick will be back soon. Frank's yeah. been playing all right recently. Yeah, Frank Frank's been playing all right. That's the one thing, Phil, and we won last night, so I'm not going to complain. But right. I think we could have used a little bit more playing time for Frank and Knox last night because I don't think they were playing yeah. poorly. And Knox did get into foul trouble. He got three early on in the game. And we won the game, so I'm not going to complain. But Tibbs really went all yeah. in last night. I mean, I think Randall played yeah, no, he minutes. went. I, yeah, he did. It was like an eight-man unit. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Knox needs to – I mean, you're right. He had foul trouble last night, but if he's on the floor, he's proving to be a floor spacer. He's not there yet, but I think eventually if he has enough minutes, he'll be able to do that consistently throughout the season. Frank, we saw a game where he would just – he went four for four the game before this, up for three, and it was like, where is his confidence? He's like – you know, he, he hit two in rhythm, just stand still, and then he started like feeling around, and he was like giving jab steps and pump fake move a little – put it up and it was like well I mean he can make these legitimately he just doesn't try it and there were a lot of times where he would get a rebound like an offensive rebound in the middle of the paint with no one around him and he would just dribble back out to try and reset so yeah. I think it's his kind of confidence he really needs to get that going type thing yeah but so far so, so good for the Knicks the only other player who's kind of lost his rhythm Amidst all of this, and he had a decent game against the Pace, uh, not the Pacers, the Bucks, where they won by twenty, obviously. But uh, RJ Barrett's kind of falling back he's, to earth after that yeah, first he's game. He's losing his his lost luster. Yeah, I think. And listen, RJ, he's playing hard. He's making his free throws, which is nice. But I think he's kind of he's he's pressing. You know, he he's missing a shot or two, and then he's kind of chasing his his yeah. game. Which yeah, no, definitely is which is the opposite of what he needs to be doing, which is letting the game come to him, which is what I think he was so successful in the first game doing. Was, right. He was he just kind just of playing the within the flow. And then cut and yeah. making right cuts. and Yeah, but his percentages are not good right now from everywhere besides the foul line, shooting 39% from the field, below 19% from beyond the arc. But, hey, Arg's going to keep shooting. He's going to keep down to the minutes. Knicks pick it up tomorrow against Toronto. That'll be a very interesting matchup. Knicks yeah. playing really well. Raptors playing really poorly. Toronto Pacers. Yeah. <clears throat> Toronto Pacers, Hawks, and Jazz. So those are all yep. above or at the Knicks level of competition. Yeah, yeah. Jazz obviously going to be the toughest one. But, right. hey, the Knicks are going to come into the game tomorrow thinking they can win. Raptors are probably going to look at this game, think, like, this is a, a get-back-on-track type of matchup. Yeah. So... It'll be an interesting one for sure. Yeah, it's probably going to be like a feed some confidence into Pascal and Fred type thing, but who knows? Maybe Alfred and RJ will disrupt it. We'll see. We'll see. All right, Phil, you got anything else for us? That's about it for now. All right. Well, as always, thank you guys for listening. If you want to check us out, find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor App. Follow us on Twitter at HoopScoopPod, YouTube HoopScoop. You got our website linked in the Twitter bio. Delicious. And we'll catch you guys next time. Peace. Peace.